Well, this next song is a new one for us here at Daybreak, but the verses are some familiar words. So as you get the hang of it, feel free to sing it along with us. Through the 
I am. I am. An awesome and unique person. Of magnificent worth. I am. I am. I am. I am. Deeply loved of God. Fully pleasing to God. Totally accepted by God. When my person is expressed through my performance. The reflection is dynamically. Dynamically unique. There has never been another like me in the history of mankind. Nor will there ever be. I am. An original. One of a kind. Really somebody. I am unique. And, and so are you. you. I want you to turn to the person right next to you and say, I am unique and so are you. Do that right now. Okay, no comments, just I'm unique and so are you. <laughs> Not in what way, okay? Um, this is our creed uh, for uh, the series that we're doing now, I am unique and so are you, and uh, the video that was put together is based on something called the Christian Identity Confession that I heard for the first time probably just a little close to 20 years ago. I'll talk about that a little bit later on, my first experience with reading that and thinking about that and processing that. Um, But uh, it's really what we're saying in this series is that you and I were created in the image of God, in His likeness. And that when we come to Christ and let Him redeem all that blocks the image of God in us, which is sin, when we let him redeem and take away sin and everything that blocks the image of God that we're created in, then we can reflect this image in this world in a way that's unique, and that's called worship. When you let the best of who God's made you come through, through your performance and through your outer actions, that's called worship. That's a way of worshiping God with your whole life. And so in this series, we're talking about this whole idea of getting a hold of of what the early church seemed to have a better grasp on than we do, and that's where the fingerprints of God are all over our life. Sometimes we tend to segment our lives or compartmentalize our lives, but in the early church, they seemed to look for and find the fingerprints of God all over their life. And Jesus Christ was very, very, very specific and very focused when he came to this earth and he said, you know, there's been a counterfeit Satan and he's stolen away the identity of God's people and God's children, and we want to restore the identity of the children back to their father by seeing the image of the father that has been created and built into them. So over this next month, we're going to explore the spirit, your spiritual gifts, your passion, your style, how you're wired by God, and uh, take some time to look for the fingerprints of God all over your life. Jesus was engaged, and we're going to talk today about this whole idea of being called, of being chosen of being called out and called into God's family and what that looks like. And Jesus was a master at doing that. As a matter of fact, that's what he did when he started his ministry. He would uh, call out to people. (coughs) Got something stuck in there. Hope it wasn't a fly. Did I just swallow a fly? Perhaps I'll die. Uh, Anyhow. (coughs) Someone could bring me a... Yeah, thank you. And, um, but... Jesus was masterful. Ah, that's good. Masterful at really letting people know that they were called out by God. He would call them out by name. 
He knew things about them. And he would call them out and call them to himself. And then as they were called to him and as they were walking with him, as they were pursuing the God that they were made in the image of, they could repent of sin. They could leave the barriers go as they pursued Jesus. As they pursued him, other things could be left behind so that they could reflect the image of God that they were crafted and made in and designed to do. At daybreak, we call that following that life-changing journey with Jesus, that Together, we're on this life-changing journey of celebrating God's grace, of connecting with his family, of contributing to God's work in a very unique way that when we do that together, it makes our, our church a unique expression of God's goodness and grace and truth and love to our community and to our world. But this idea of calling might be a little bit new or even strange or mysterious to some of you, so I just want to use an old word picture, a little bit of a story from my childhood that might help you think about being chosen for a team. I don't know about you, but where I grew up, we played a lot of pickup basketball, football, baseball, all different kinds of sports in our neighborhood. How many of you did that? You did that with people in your neighborhood or kids around, you get on your bicycle. Even this time of year when it was cold and snowy, we would go down, shovel off the basketball court, and in between the bowl games, we'd play pickup basketball, we'd play football. It was nothing to have two full teams of football uh, teams playing each other and another team waiting on the sidelines to play in the next game. And uh, I remember what it was like, and maybe you remember what it's like, to feel like lining up for the choosing of who would be on whose team. You remember that? And you kind of line up and maybe certain people would position themselves a certain way and try to move up in the front of the line or maybe someone's throwing the ball around back there. I was always kind of distracted, probably still playing pass with somebody as they were picking people out. And I remember what it felt like to, to feel like, am I going to be chosen and who's going to choose me and what position will they choose me to play on their team? But I also remember what it was like to be the one choosing. And when it came to being choosing, I, I wasn't out to lunch. I wasn't passing a ball over here. I was paying attention. I was watching everybody. I was watching who the other person was picking, and then I was picking. I was picking people that would uniquely fit onto my team. I remember I would pick out Scott Christman, and Scott was Speedy Scott. And he would be my halfback, and he was kind of short, but man, he could make it through there. He was like Sproles, you know? He didn't know where he was at. And then all of a sudden, he'd come bursting out. So I, I would pick him to be my running back. I'd pick Clydesdale Kevin to be my tight end because he was like a big Clydesdale. As a matter of fact, if you needed him to eclipse the sun, he was so tall, he could often do that, it seemed. Okay? And I, I picked out for my tight end, skinny as a rail Randy. And skinny as a rail Randy could slice through the defense. They didn't even see him coming. They barely felt any wind as he went by. And then all of a sudden, he was wide open. You could just toss it over them, and he'd catch it and score a touchdown, you know? And uh, bigger than life, Bob, I picked him out to be my blocker. And uh, these are actually people that were in my life, and I gave them all these little nicknames inside of my mind, but they had unique ways of being on a team. And although we were very different, you wouldn't have wanted, you know, skinny as a rail Randys for a whole team or, you know, big, bigger than life, Bob's, but you would want this mixture of different people on your team, this diversity. And in this diversity, there was a great unity that made us a team and so we could win the game. And that's the way God's team is. And God says today, I've picked you. I've chosen you. I've called you out. And Jesus is calling your name to come out from the world and be part of his team. To come out and be part of his family. To join his work in this world and uniquely reflect God to this world in only the way that you and I can do it. So we're going to go over this definition today. And it's going to make up our message. And it's a definition of, of what it means to be called. And to be called means to become like Jesus 
in all that we do through the unique expression of our lives. To become like Jesus in all we do through the unique expression of our lives. And uh, so I want us to start, I want this section right over here, this far section over here. You are in charge of saying when I point to you to become like Jesus, okay? So let's try it. One, two, three. Oh boy, you're much more awake than the first service. Good job. To become like Jesus. Now you two sections, you've got, you've got it. All you have to do is say, in all that we do, okay? In all that we do. And you might even want to do this. In all that we do. And try not to hit the person next to you, okay? So when I point to you, it's become like Jesus. And then you guys are in all that we do, okay? You ready? Okay, and this section is over here, is through the unique expression of our lives. So you have the long phrase over here, but I could tell you guys were really intelligent and smart when I looked out. And so I picked you to be the intelligent and smart ones. So you're going to say, through the unique expression of our lives, when I point to you, okay? So let's try it. Well, you guys are really excited about that this morning. <laughs> let's try it. Okay, let's try it. This is right here, here. Uh, very good. You guys, let's try it one more time. To become like Jesus. Very good, guys. I just wanted you to kind of let that settle in because sometimes we're not sure what calling is. And calling is more than just hearing his voice for salvation. That's part of it. So let's talk about this. Let's unpack this definition a little bit this morning. And then the next couple weeks, we'll go through the spiritual gifts your passion, and your style, and that'll make up the series this time, okay? So the first point this morning, first part of our definition is that you and I are called to become like Jesus. You and I are uniquely called to become like Jesus. And this becoming like Jesus isn't something that happens and it's just a phase and then it's over. It's something that is an interchange of all of our life. It's an aspect of all of our life in Christ, okay? We're always becoming, we're in this process of becoming like Jesus. Romans 10, 3, 13 says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we call on the name of the Lord because the Lord has been calling out to us. Just as Jesus combed the countryside and the cities looking for his early followers, he's still doing that. And the Holy Spirit is still calling to us and calling us by name and calling into our soul to come out and be one of his followers. This part is called salvation. This is where we forsake all other callings. For the call of following him. We forsake it all for the sake of the call. And then we find our fit in his family, in his team, okay? I like how this passage frames this idea of being called out of the world and onto God's team. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Notice that the words here in scripture are not referring to us as individuals, but referring to us as a group of people. We are a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a treasured possession belonging to God. Together we are that. Jesus, you can't follow Jesus in a vacuum. There's parts of the Christian life where you need to forge your journey with Jesus alone. Yes, you need to spend time with him. You need to converse with him. You need to have time in prayer and Bible study and Bible reading 
and times of devotion and following spiritual disciplines. And that is an important part of your life. But if you only do that on your own, you will not become like Jesus the way that he intended. Because we become like Jesus not when we're just facing forward in worship, but when we're facing each other in community, in small group, and learning and getting to know one another and how God has made us. It's like being on that sandlot football team that you and I get to admire and know and appreciate each other's uniqueness and abilities, and together we become this body of Christ that reflects his uniqueness to the world because there is great unity in our diversity in our differences, but together we are more of an accurate reflection of God than we are just on our own. We were never intended to follow Jesus on our own, and our new family keeps us shoring up our calling. It keeps us on a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. It reminds us of our salvation and why we're doing this. It reminds us to stay on that upper way with God. It reminds us of our true calling in life when we're in community. I want to give you a personal example of this. When I came off of sabbatical this summer, I wrote out something called a soul care plan. And in my soul care plan, I had kind of um, discerned on my sabbatical that I had been coasting somewhat spiritually. I'd been following a lot of the same spiritual disciplines that I've been doing for years. And even though I wanted to incorporate some new spiritual disciplines, like, for instance, going on a a full-day retreat or whatever, I I wasn't able to do that in an ongoing way. I'd do some of those things, but they were kind of erratic. And none, none uh, none of them were really devotional. They were sporadics. You know, we talk about having devotions with God. Maybe sometimes we should call our spiritual disciplines sporadics rather than devotions. Because devotions are something that you do systematically. And there were some new things that I would try, but I just couldn't quite stick with it. So I wrote them into this plan. And, and like any plan, when you have too much time to think about it, you make it too big. It's too full orb. There's, there's too much to do. I mean, if that's all that you did, that, that's all that you would get done. And so my plan was a little overzealous. But one of the things that I did want to do was I wanted to try for a year doing a one-day spiritual retreat each month of that year. I just wanted to try it and see how it would sync up with my weekly Sabbath rest, and how that would sync up with my daily office and my daily time with God. If I could get those three things to sync up in a new way, maybe there would be a new rhythm in my life. So I researched options, and I found an opportunity called Sabbath Space. It was being offered by Eldon Fry, who's the campus pastor at Messiah College, and I knew Eldon from years gone by, and I knew it would be a good experience if I could get into the course and and take it. So I called him up, but the course had been closed or shut down. There weren't enough people that were interested in it. He said, if you have enough people that are interested, uh, uh, maybe maybe I'll, I would do it for you in, in that group. And so I, I went in that week, and I really hadn't thought this much out. And I was just kind of sharing this, my disappointment that I wasn't going to be able to do this with some of the staff members, with Pastor Rick, with Pastor Sean, and with Pastor John Hendrickson. And we're sitting in a meeting. I was just kind of just sharing off the cuff, like, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I've written that out. I really wanted to try that. I want to do it. And, and I said, and I just kind of off the cuff said, hey, you guys wouldn't be interested in doing that with me, would you? And within the next seven days, I got an email back from each one of them. Yes, I would. I'm, I'm in. I'm on. I'm willing to do it. So I went back to them. I said, do you know what this takes? We have to read a book every month. You have to do a spiritual exercise before you get there. You have to spend that time alone with God. You have to come prepared to share. And then Eldon's going to lead us in, in a whole day. Uh, are, are, you, are you willing to do that? Yep, 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 yep. Everybody was in. And so for the past few months, we've been doing that ever since September. 
And it's been a great time for me because I realized that there were some new spiritual disciplines that I wanted to enter into. But often those spiritual disciplines need to connect with community. And I was thinking about doing them all on my own. All on my own. But how much better for me to have almost half of a day where I can sit and reflect and, and be led and, uh, by, by Eldon and how he facilitates our group and by our reading and our spiritual exercises. But then to have time in the afternoon where after our, our meal at lunchtime where we can sit and help each other and listen to each other and help each other stay on the upward way with Christ, how we can shore up our calling. And that has become to me, man, I, I can't wait to get to those days. As a matter of fact, I talked to you a couple weeks ago about needing to thin my schedule, and that was one of the things that came up that, that may be on my schedule that I need to thin, and I thought, there's no way I can do that. That is giving so much breath of life to my soul that I can't give that up. And I asked the other guys, and they said, no, let's not give it up. Let's keep doing it. Let's find other things to thin out of our schedule. But let's not thin out of our schedule the community of Christ that helps us keep becoming like him because it reminds us constantly that we're called out and we're called into to reflect back out God's goodness and grace and truth to this world. And so I can't give up on that. And that's why we have small groups at daybreak. That's why we have community groups at daybreak. And we have home groups and different types of groups because we know that we're transformed when our faces are looking forward together and looking up to God. But we're also transformed then when we bring those faces that have been before God and we face each other and we look at each other and we share our soul with each other. And perhaps your small group needs some sort of jump start. Maybe you need Eldon to come in and lead you in a spiritual retreat. I'm sure he would do that for you for the low, low discount price of, no, just joking with you. But what I'm saying is this, if your small group needs that retreat time, take it. I've, I've talked to some small group leaders in the last couple of months where they've taken a retreat, they've gone away with their group and have done some spiritual exercises and opened up their soul and it made their koinonia, it made their fellowship help each other stay on the path with Christ and fulfill their calling, that they're called out. The Apostle Paul said that taking an active stance in community is an essential part of becoming like Jesus Christ when he wrote these words. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Underline that. Members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Our definition of calling begins with and ends with becoming like Jesus. It's an ongoing process. But the second part of it is in all that we do. Becoming like Jesus in all that we do. This means becoming like Christ must become our passion, our vocation, the thing that we do. Now, when I use the word vocation, today it's become equated with occupation, right? If I say, what's your vocation? You would probably say what you do, your job, what you get paid to do. Okay, But this wasn't the case in the original meaning of the word. The English word vocation originated in the early church, in early Christianity, in a Latin word called vocatio. And vocatio historically meant an all-encompassing obligation or duty to follow Christ in every area of our life. So vocation for a Christian meant an all-encompassing passion to follow Christ in every area of our life. Nothing was off limits. So it was a whole new lifestyle, a new way of living. It might be tempting to compartmentalize our calling to Christ 
to just Sunday mornings or small groups or certain activities or actions, but that's not what God wants to do. God wants to invade our world and turn it upside down and teach us how to be his sons and his daughters reflecting the Imago Dei, the image that we were created in, in Christ. And he wants to help to do, us to do that through the power of his Holy Spirit and in community, in all that we do, not compartmentalizing any of our life. It's kind of easy to say, I'm going to set this 40 to 60 hours a week aside, and it may or may not have anything to do with my Christian life, but that's not what vocation is. Mother Teresa said these words, and Mother Teresa was a worker. Was she not? She's the one that got out in the streets with the people and helped them, took Christ to the marginalized and the poor and the weak and the suffering, and she said these words, the work is not our vocation. The work is not our vocation. Our belonging to Christ is our vocation. People are confused. And so our job, our vocation, our compelling call is to become like Christ in all that we do, in word or in deed. Paul was one of Jesus' most committed followers once he came to Christ. But he lost his position of prestige and power in that community, but Christ started to permeate every part of his life. And he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul was saying, make your vocation, make your calling to become like Christ in all that you do. Let it invade your life. Let it become all of your life. How we do what we do in whatever we are doing makes a difference. How we do what we do in whatever we are doing makes a difference. Our commitment to becoming like Jesus needs to spill out. We need to take down the walls and the compartments of our lives and open up the closets and the corners and the pathways of our past and our future and our present and let God permeate everything in all that we do and all that we do. How we do what we do in all that we do makes a difference. I remember uh, when I was going through college, I worked for a trucking company in the area and I, was, I would load trucks. But basically, I did the same work day after day after day loading those trucks. Once I was trained, I knew how to load things. I knew how to write things up on the manifest for the truck. I knew how to get my job done quickly but also knew how to do it efficiently. And uh, I knew how to, to get the work done. But there was always something that was intriguing to me. There were certain days where I was compelled to go to work. I was excited about going to work. And there's other days where I was repelled from work. I didn't want to go. Now, some of those days were just because I didn't want to go to work. But a lot of them was because I had a different boss on different shifts. I had a different supervisor. My one supervisor made me feel compelled to come to work. I love to work for him. I love, he made me feel like I was working with him. He made me feel like we weren't just loading trucks, but that we were helping the community. He made me feel like I was part of a team, and so I liked that. But there was this other guy, and man, that was a dread, and I would dread going to work. We were doing exactly the same thing. We really weren't doing anything that much different. We were loading boxes and stuff in trucks and writing it up on a sheet. Okay, so there wasn't that much difference. So why did I feel so different? It was how they did what they did. 
With the one guy, it was like, hey, we're part of doing something together. With the other guy, it was like, crack the whip. I'm going to beat you into submission. We're going to load this truck as fast as possible, and we're going to make this as terrible as possible of experience for you. How many of you have ever worked for the dreaded boss? Okay, you guys are raising your hand. The dreaded boss is sitting over here. Dreaded (laughs) boss. Be a little nicer to these folks. But why is that? It's how we do what we do. You know, it's easy for us to say to someone else, well, you need to do an attitude check, right? You just need to do an attitude check. But that's, that's easier said than done. You know, it's easier for me just to go on with my attitude than to really check my attitude. And uh, I found some help in some things that uh, I've been studying in an uh, emotionally healthy spirituality. As a matter of fact, there's, there's an app that you can get, emotionally healthy spirituality app. And you guys, some of you have read the book, and we did a series on this just a few years ago, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We did um, the series Beneath the Surface which, which uh, spelled out all the things that are in here, that you need to be emotionally healthy and contemplative spiritually, and they need to be woven together in order for you to become a strong Christian in this world. And so they wrote this book, and then Pete and Jerry Scazzaro put together Emotionally Healthy Skills. And skills are actually, these are the pathways, the inner pathways, and these are the skills that will help you do what you're doing in a way that is Christ-like, okay? Without just becoming a legalist. This is new ways, new skills, new interactions. And so they actually build an app for it. And on the app, you can get on the app, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, download it for free. Then you can get on there and you can actually take an inventory of where you are in seven different areas of how you do what you're doing, okay? And these are the areas. Looking beneath the surface, breaking the power of the past, living in brokenness and vulnerability, receiving the gift of limits, Embracing grief and loss, making incarnation your rule for loving well, and slowing down to lead with integrity. And the one thing I like about this app, and I like it, is because you get on there and you answer the questions, and it will score you automatically. You don't have to download it and fill it out and everything. You just do that, you answer the questions, and it gives you your score at the end, puts little charts and graphs and things like that. You can kind of see where you're at very quickly, and you can go back and take it again after a few months. Like if you've been working on one of these things, like let's say you're working on looking beneath the surface of your life and not being a person who just lives up here in this part of the iceberg, but goes down and looks at the rest of your life and examines it, says, where are God's fingerprints and what's God been doing? And you're working on that. You can take it in a couple months, and then it will show you how much you've grown in that area. It'll give you some measurement of growth. It's just an awareness tool to help you. But as I went through it, and I shared this uh, just a few times ago when I was preaching. As I went through it, I really scored low on receiving the gift of limits. And uh, for someone who treasures workaholism, I just thought, well, that's great. I, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I work really hard and I come from a Dutch background home. And so I, I work for the night is coming. That's our favorite hymn in the family that I grew up in. And uh, so you take a little bit of pride in that. Yes, you know, I just, you know. But really the truth is that When I do that, I do that for one of two reasons. One, I don't want to miss out on any opportunity for myself, so I just live outside of limits. And the other one is, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let you down, so I don't say no to anybody. So I don't say no because I don't want to miss out on any opportunity, and I don't say no because I want to please everybody, and I don't want to let anybody down. And after a while, I'm not doing good for anybody because I'm trying to do way too much. 
And when I don't receive the gift of limits, guess what? I'm better in my mind than I am in real life, right? I think in my mind, I can do all these things and do them well. No, I'm really letting everybody down when I'm living without limits. I'm not strong on the inside. I'm not present in conversations. I'm not there. I'm just running from one task to the next, to the next, to the next, because I'm living outside the limits, but when I embrace my limits. And so I came back to our, our group the other uh, week when we were meeting and doing our retreat, and I just confessed, you know, I took this inventory and living outside my limits, and I got to do, so guess what they do? They follow up with me. Joel, did you call any of those people that you said you were going to let, who are you going to let down this week? Someone emailed me one day. You're, you're going to let somebody down, Right? And so in the past month, I've called two places and resigned from things that I was doing. And I wrote my third resignation letter. I just don't have the guts to hand it in yet. Just pray for me, okay? It's not from here. (laughs) (laughs) But living outside my limits doesn't help me become like Christ in all that I do. It's counter to it. But when I embrace my limits, I can become like Christ in all that I do. By doing less and embracing more of him, right? It's hard for me to do that. It's going to be a lifelong journey for me. I would imagine on the day that I die, if I took this inventory, that would still be my lowest score. But I hope not. I hope I'm able to increase in there. But you know, it's one thing just to say, have a better attitude. It's another thing to do something and to work on it. And so if you're like me, you need a tool. Maybe you need to download that app and just start working with people and working on that. Martin Luther said this, every Christian should experience two conversions. The first conversion is to respond to God's call to come out of the world and into the church. The second is to be sent back into the world to penetrate it with the message and the model of the kingdom of God. And this leads us into a third part of our definition, to become like Jesus in all we do through the unique expression of our lives. To become like Jesus in all we do through the unique expression of our lives. This part of God's call adds the component of uniqueness, the expression of our lives. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was someone who was a powerful personality. Before he had experienced God's calling in his life, he was a powerful personality. And so God took the power of that personality he placed in Paul, and he turned it, and he crafted it, and he used it, and he honed it, and he refined it, and he built it back into that original image of God that Paul was made into. And so Paul is so passionate, and his unique expression of God was to be able to preach the gospel to those who were Gentiles. And so he writes this, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. Since I am compelled to preach, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust that's been committed to me. Paul's unique contribution of bringing together his gifts and his style and his passion were in the preaching of the gospel where non-Jewish people, Gentiles, would come to faith in Messiah Jesus and the church was birthed and born. The church that continues to this day across the world because Paul was willing to find the fingerprints of God all over his life 
and to do what he did best for the glory of God. God made each of us to reflect his love to this world in a very unique way, very unique way. And when we come together, it's even more unique. Greg Ogden has said this, much of the will of God for us is written in us. It's finding the fingerprints of God in us, how we're wired, how we're made, our gifts, our abilities, our passion, our experience. Kierkegaard said this, the thing is to understand myself, to see what God really wants me to do, and find an idea for which I'm willing to live and die for. That's the passion. That's the fingerprints of God. That's knowing God has called me to do this. Have you ever done anything and just felt so exhausted at the end of it, but exuberant in spirit? You ever done anything where you felt exhausted? At the end of it, you were exhausted, but your spirit was exuberant. Like, that, that's probably your sweet spot, your unique calling in God. Like, I'm exhausted, but I was built to do that. That's what Paul was saying about preaching to the Gentiles and starting the church. I'm exhausted doing that, but man, am I fulfilled in doing that. We want to help you over the next month Look for the fingerprints of God all over your life. We'll spend three weeks, one week looking at your style, one week looking at your passion, one week looking at your spiritual gifts and seeing your unique contribution. And then we want you to pull that back in and see how does that come in when you're layered with other people in the body of Christ to express Christ in a way that's unique, that's one of a kind. It's like your thumbprint on this world. You know, sometimes we doubt that we have any lasting contribution to make in this world. I think we doubt that at times. I think sometimes we wonder as we stand on God's playground if he's going to pick us for his team. We wonder, what, what am I supposed to do? What am I about? We see other people doing things and engaged in activities, and we see other people maybe being fulfilled in ministry, and we wonder, what is there for us to do? What is there for me to do? You may come here on Sunday mornings and say, well, you know, I come in and the music seems to be done and the coffee seems to be made and the chairs seem to be set up. Everything seems to be going on. I guess I'm just not really needed here. I just come in and sit here. But the body of Christ is not a place where you just come and sit. It's a place where you come and you serve and you interact and you get to know and you share life and you become a family and a team so that together you receive the blessings of God and discharge the blessings of God in a way that is unique. And so we want to give you some time in these next days to look for the fingerprints of God all over your life and to hear him calling you out to come follow him, to come be part of his family, to come and make your unique contribution as only you can do. You know, we watched that video at the beginning about the creed that I told you about. I'll never forget the first time I recited the creed. I could barely get it off my tongue. I choked on most of the words. Even though I was young, I was tired and I was worn from the battles of life and early ministry. I was sitting in a session of pastors and missionaries who were beat up in a place in Houston, Texas. And I was listening to a Christian counselor give a talk on how our identity should only come through our relationship with Christ. 
I knew that was true, but I had a hard time living that out. I knew it up here, but I had a hard time not finding my identity in being a hard worker or not finding my identity in being a good preacher or not finding my identity in planting a great church for the glory of God. I had a hard time not finding my identity in my performance and finding my identity in my person in Christ. And so I choked on these words when I first heard them because they gripped me, they caught me. It was God speaking to me and saying, you've been made in my image, in my likeness. Embrace that. And as much as I would like to say I don't live for performance anymore, I toggle between the two and I keep trying to come back to who I am in Christ. But maybe these words will grip you like they did for me the first time I heard them. And they were hard to get off my tongue. I even find them hard to say them sometimes today. They go like this. I am an awesome spirit being of magnificent worth as a person. I am deeply loved of God. I am fully pleasing to God. I am totally accepted by God. I am inwardly perfect like God as a person in his sight. And when my person is expressed through my performance, the outward reflection is dynamically unique. For there has never been anyone like me in the history of mankind, nor will there ever be. So no one will ever reflect God quite like me. I'm an original. I'm one of a kind. I'm really somebody. And so are you. And so are you. And so are you. And so are you. Take the time over the next 30 days to look for the fingerprints of God all over your life. Too many times as Christians, what we do is we try to battle all that we spend our life battling our deficits instead of embracing our strengths and who God has made us. The image of you were created in God's image and his likeness. His fingerprints are all over you. Why not pursue that? And in the pursuit of following Christ, repent of the other sins, discard the things you don't do well, and embrace Christ and embrace one another so that together we can say, I'm really somebody and so are you. And let's go out and reflect him to a world that needs to know the same thing. Let's talk to God together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for speaking the truth to us that we're created in your image, that you're a grand designer. You've made us and built us And that our true vocation is to know you and to enjoy you all together and reflect your image to this world. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to help us become more like Jesus, to keep us on the upper way. Thank you for the body of Christ that reminds us of our calling and who we really are. And we're called out and in. And we're called to know your love and then give it away. in all that we do. As we discover and we develop our unique contribution, Lord, we want to humbly give away what we do best so that heads are turned toward you and you are glorified. Lord, help us to find your fingerprints. Help us not to be satisfied until we know our sweet spot. 
till we hear you again and again calling us, choosing us, naming us, saying, well, this is how I designed you and made you. Help us to enjoy the joy and delight of the journey of discovering and developing spiritual gifts and style and calling. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted you to take a couple of minutes to respond. I should pull out your response card. And uh, I want you to put uh, on the response card, I just wanted to make you aware of a couple things that we're doing in the series. Every Tuesday, if we have your email address, we will send you a little prompter, a few questions, maybe just a short assessment about the message that's coming up next weekend. So if we don't have your email address, make sure we get it today. And you'd like to get that prompter every Tuesday. If you don't have email, please write it on your card, I don't have email. Please send me the prompters and we'll send them to you. They just won't get there by Tuesday, maybe Thursday. You have snail, say, I have snail mail, I don't have email. We'll get them to you, okay? That's just helping to get you ready for the next week that's coming up, okay? The other thing that we've made available to you, and I know there's uh, limited copies uh, because uh, we sold out of a bunch of them last week, but we did order some more. There's a book called What You Do Best in the Body of Christ, Discovering Your Spiritual Gifts, Personal Style, and God-Given Passion by Bruce Bugby. A few years ago, Pastor Sean was able to actually take a course with Bruce and uh, be mentored by him. And, uh, and this helped us put together the series that we're doing. It complements the series that we're doing. And it's a great read. It's got assessment tools in there. So if you're somebody who says, hey, I need to do that, you can pick up one of these today in a resource center. If we're out of them, they should be here by next week. So you can just kind of reserve a copy for yourself, okay? Those are two practical, very practical things you can do. But I want you to take some time in the next couple moments and may just reflect on that whole idea of seeing God's fingerprints all over your life. And then respond on a response card or write down a prayer request that you might have on there. In the next couple moments, just reflect on that and then write down your reflection or your prayer request.